I blame the supermarkets for the decline of British manufacturing. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me every Tuesday and Friday when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice on making in the UK. Let's crack on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Make It British podcast. This episode is going out on Tuesday, the 28th of May. I've recorded it a couple of weeks before, but if you're listening to it on the day that it comes out, it's actually the day that we're down on site at the Business Design Centre setting up for our Make It British Live trade show, which is really exciting. It's going to be such a great event and I'm going to be doing a roundup of the event next Friday on next Friday's podcast. That'll be episode 61. So there'll be all sorts of behind the scenes and hopefully some interviews that I can throw in there as well with some of the exhibitors and lots of stuff about the event. So if you don't manage to make it down to the show, what a shame, but you will be able to catch up on lots of the stuff that's been going on via the podcast and also the talks at the show, which we're going to make available online at some point in the next few weeks. But if you are going to be at the show and you listen to this podcast, do come up to me and say hello and let me know that you're a podcast listener. I'd love to meet you. So now let's get on to today's interview. And I have got another exhibitor from our event that I'm going to introduce you to. It's a chap called Peter Gray, and he works for a company called Just Elegant, who are garment manufacturers in Leicester. Now, I'd not had a chance to have a proper chin wag with Peter before we did this interview, and I didn't realise how fabulously controversial he was going to be. So he's got some great points to make about the UK high street and manufacturing in the UK. So I hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do come down to the show, pop along and say hello to Peter. He'll be on the Just Elegant stand. Hello, Peter. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome. So do you want to tell everyone what your job title is and what you do for Just Elegant? Um, I suppose my job title in a ballpark way would be new business manager. I start um, creating a basic range and then go out looking for customers that would suit the range we create. So do you do the designing yourself or do you have a design team at Just Elegant? We have a design team. We have sample machinists and we have a designer, but... Um, I'm I'm very hands-on and probably sort of stringent in what we're doing because I have to sell it. So how did you get into the whole industry in the first place? Like the industry uh, being the garment, the garment trade, the rag trade as we used yeah. to call it. Um, accidentally, basically, I got um, a flat and I needed a job and there was a, a big building next door but one basically to where I got the flat and they were looking for someone to pack boxes in the warehouse, so I did. Um, and then through just sort of speaking my own mind and offering my limited opinion, um, sort of stuck with it and that was 24 years ago. Wow. And I mean, 
when I when I speak of sort of 24 years ago, these were the days when we would get people like Tom Singh, Mr. Yeah, who said new look, yeah. yeah. He would come in in his tracksuit and sort of buy clothing direct from manufacturers like myself. Um, you would have people like, we're talking like Bay Trading, Pilot Clothing, Select, Mark One. Those were the, the prominent days in the 90s when UK high streets were huge. Um, and at that point, was any of it still made in Leicester? Everything was made in Leicester. Nobody, mm. nobody made in Morocco. Nobody made in Dubai. We we all did it in Leicester. Um, yeah. So, so how has just elegant sort of carried on manufacturing in Leicester when so many people have gone overseas? What was the secret? Um, you, you have to. Firstly, you have to pick your market. So. <laughs> 90% of the sheep in Leicester are trying to deal with about six people. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the first thing. Then, so so you decide who you're dealing with and then you decide what level of investment you're going to put into the business. So you have a proportion of people in Leicester that deal with um, your main online five buyers yeah you're boohoo you're misguided those sort yes. of retailers yeah yes we have a special name for them but i'm not going to use it now um, <laughs> right you can swear on this podcast <laughs> <if> you, <want. laughs> you know i used to be a buyer but not for yes. boohoo. <laughs> no no they're not really buyers at boohoo but anyway that's another story um so you decide so if you want to deal with them you basically need zero uh financial input because irrelevant of what they say and what the media says, there's no checking. There's no stringent plans against mm. it. So that's, that's your cheap way in. Your, your next option to keep with the young high street area is you go all blue chip, like your Arcadias, your River Islands, your uh, Assos. The, yeah, the when you kind need of paper. good audits and it's, lots yeah, of paperwork, yeah. It's a five-year plan with a lot of investment. Um, and while the orders aren't rolling in, you're still paying all your staff, obviously, minimum wage and above. And it, it's a big five to ten-year plan. So that, that's your younger market. Then you have all these other sub-markets, like what I'm in. So yep. I basically, I like to describe myself as I, I make clothes for the lady that shops at Tesco, the, the dinner lady, shall we say. <laughs> right, okay. Where does the dinner lady shop then? Basically, so you, you're saying you make products for Tesco's or for... Yeah, so basically, if you, if you saw a top in Tesco's, basically Tesco's has this great styling plan where any woman, irrelevant of her age, will look at that and go, oh, that's a nice print. And that's what mm. I make. Mm. And spots, that, that's, stripes, nice spots. Good like colours. Yeah. What, what we like to call non-fit critical. So right. it doesn't hug or grip the areas that our dinner lady doesn't like to be hugged or gripped. <laughs> like the bingo wings. I need some of that, Peter. <laughs> but it's flattering fashion. I've it, never it, heard it called that before. But yeah, I know what you mean. So it's, um, it's yeah. not slavishly following fashion either. 
No, but you you need an ice colour. You need the the top has to then go with a pair of trousers she already owns. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be worn at the weekend or in the daytime. It's a multi-purpose piece, and indirectly, it's a lot a lot harder. The the reason being is when I make a garment, I have to make a garment that that particular lady she'll wash it, keep it, and look after it. Yeah. When you go to the previous areas we were just talking about, yeah. that's disposable fashion. Yes, it doesn't matter if it falls apart, so they're only going to wear it for one clubbing well, night out. To be fair, it doesn't matter if it fits because, yeah. you know, they don't really care. Whereas <laughs> my, my they lady They don't need cares. to be Peter because they're only like, you know, size zero. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> this is it. So, but my lady... She she wants to wash it. She wants to wear it. So my job's a lot harder. I have to be more clinical on the fabrics I use, where I get them from. There's, there's a massive trend um, for UK High Street from Leicester, really, which is digital printing. Yeah. Um, I can't use it. I could staple £10 notes to it, and I still couldn't sell it because it is a below-par product. When that's, I, that's a controversial topic. Tell me uh, more. To, to be fair, it's a factual statement. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's interesting. So let's let's explore that a bit further because a lot of people are talking about digital printing being the new kind of holy grail and you can do right. so many colours. So no. you're saying otherwise. Tell me. Tell it, me it's, it's, a base, it's, it's a lazy man's option, basically. What, what happens is, so digital printing all goes onto polyester bases. So mm-hmm. predominantly, it will be a poly interlock for cheap and very cheap, cheerful. Or if you're going slightly more at market, you'll use what they call a Venezia or heavy gauge would be ITY. Yep. But with paper print, it is basically printing on a piece of paper. So the, the ink just sits or rests on top of the fabric. There's no, there's no saturation, there's no seepage. So it doesn't bulk up the weight of the fabric. It doesn't permeate through to the rear. So any top you look at, it's completely kind of B-list celebrity teeth white on the inside. And then <laughs> you've got the print yeah. on the outside. Whereas yeah. because I buy all my prints from Korea, the kings of ITY printing, where it originated, where it's done properly. Yeah. My, my fabric has a better handle. It has a better appearance. And through years of reviews and, you know, online sort of comments, it is the better fabric. But what is Sorry, what does ITY stand for? That's a I'm new acronym. Ask me that. Yeah. yeah, it is. Um, it, uh, no. As I say it all the time. <laughs> I'm going to research it when we... Google uh, when, it comes Yeah, I will up. do. Yeah. So um, is there no one in the UK that does the ITY fabric that you're talking about? Okay, so... Because um, that's Make It British, as the Make It British podcast. So I, yeah, I so have to ask I have, why you're importing it from Korea. So there is obviously a reason. They, they are better at it. it, it it's their skill. Um ITY itself is made in Korea. The reason is the way they dye it and their water makes the best ITY. Even the Chinese buy ITY off Korea. They've tried to do it themselves, but they're not as good. So even they bring it in. Um, So here in the UK, yes, we can print ITY, but it's not as technically good as Korean. Uh, It's a little bit more limited. 
if I'm honest, a lot of printers don't like doing it because the fabric's slippy. They have to run the machines slower. So the turnaround and things isn't as good as printing on viscose, um, which is the predominant fabric that most people print on in the UK. Mm. That, that's why. But the problem with all of these fabrics, like polyester, viscous, everyone's now starting to question what it's doing to the environment, aren't they? So is that the same of your lady who buys your um, clothing? Do you think she actually sort of cares that it's printed on polyester? And do you think they're, are they starting to ask for more other fibres, like linen, for instance, or um, more environmentally friendly? Yeah, now linen is expensive. Um, and it's not used in the UK. The uh, one-size Italian garments we bring in, uh, the majority of those are linen. Right. Um, so we we do use that, but they're very expensive. The reason my lady insists on a polyester is because of its wearability. So if you buy a garment, especially mail order, and it's viscoselastate, it basically looks like a bag of rags when you receive it. Viscose creases. Even yourself, when you get it out and you wash it, it stretches, it, it doesn't hang right. It's bad fabric. Polyester comes almost perfect when it's out of a bag. And as soon as you wash it, you can hang it and it will dry crease-free. So that, that's why my lady particularly prefers an ITY fabric. Right. Because... It, it's presented and it, it just sort of, you know, it, it's an easier, better garment for her. So as far as who you, um, who you supply to then, so is Tesco's your biggest customer? I don't, yeah, no, I don't supply to Tesco's. It's just an example of, right. um, of my styling. Right. Kind of the styles we do. Um, I do um, a few high street people. Um, you have people like Class, um, Gerard, we do people like Stock Sharp, the older market, so 30 plus, if you like. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think uh, you've raised a really good point there. I think a lot of manufacturers know the big names that supply the younger end of the kind of online retailers, like the Boohoo's and people we've mentioned, mm. and they don't necessarily know about these sort of mid market brands where the quality is slightly better. Um, and I would imagine, I might be wrong, but there's less pressure from you to, on you from the buyers to sort of squeeze every single penny out of you when it comes to making each garment as cheaply as possible. Is that right? Um, to, to be fair, the financial restraints are harder for me because let's be clear that the price areas are still basically the same because that particular lady, you are competing with the supermarkets, people like Asda, Sainsbury's, Tesco's, where that age group of lady is there twice a week. So, you know, we're, we're probably as price competitive as the young fashion brands who you can buy a £5 dress at midnight and get it the next morning. Right. But it's harder for me because that, five pound dress is a piece of junk whereas i still have to provide the older lady with a good garment for the same kind of price yeah yeah so, so this is where this crab approach comes so th there's nobody now in the uk importing 
printed Korean fabrics because they haven't found a market for it, so they don't do it. So I have to go sideways and go and get it myself. That, right, that's, okay. That, that's the difference. The reason people supply or try and supply the, the boohoos and the PLTs is because all your fabrics are on the floor in front of you. There's no thinking about it. All the printers in Leicester, the, including the digital printers, they're all mindset and supplying everybody else. So it, it's kind of the easy exam paper to take. What we do takes a lot more thought, a lot more effort, but, you know, you've got to move yeah. sideways rather than forward. Yeah. So um, before um, we started this podcast, we were chatting, weren't we? And yes. I said that before Just Elegant applied to exhibit at our trade show, I'd not actually heard of you. I'd not actually, and I pride myself on knowing most of the manufacturers in the UK when it comes to <laughs> textiles and garments. And since then, I've been mentioning to a few people that we've got Just Elegant at the show, people from Leicester who said they've also never heard of you and you also don't have a website. So no. what, what is the reason that you've kind of kept yourself hidden, I suppose, and quietly been getting on with doing your own thing? How does that work from a commercial perspective if customers can't find you? Because I find the customers, that that's basically the way it works. We're, we're not there particularly um, waiting for customers to come and find us because we've, we've selected and made the decision of what kind of garments we're going to make an offer. So through that, I then have a clearer idea of what customers are for me and then I approach them accordingly that that's basically the way it is um a web a, a website how would I use a website I, it doesn't I'd sit there all day trying to update it or trying to <laughs> add comments on it or some flashy banner when I could actually be ringing other potential customers or you know thinking yeah. of other styles that's a really interesting point because I did a podcast episode recently about why and why do a lot of UK manufacturers have websites but not very good ones and I gave some tips and pointers of the sort of information because a lot of manufacturers say to me all the wrong people are contacting me and, and you look at their website and you think well no wonder because it doesn't really say what you do on your website it says you're a garment manufacturer, but it doesn't say whether you make, you know, T-shirts or luxury silk dresses. So <laughs> that's why. So you're not that specific. Interesting to hear your point of view because you're actually saying, let's just do it the proper old school way and spend the time on the phone and reaching out directly to the customers rather than waiting for them to find us, which I think is actually more the way things are going again now. Again, again, yeah. we're, we're back to the um, crab situation. Firstly, I don't want to do a clothing trade show because it, it, everybody else is there for the same reason. That, that doesn't mm. really work. Again, secondly, if I'm perfectly honest, I don't particularly want any more UK customers. It's a very saturated pool um, I would like more European, more diverse customers. Um, because again, I, I'm not trying to find someone that I can get one order off to pay for a Range Rover. It's a long term. <laughs> you know. It's Lamborghinis now, isn't it? I think not Range Rovers. 
It depends what your own opinion on your own manhood <laughs> is, I suppose, really. As needs must, should we say. So what's the reason that you've decided to do the Make It British Live trade show this year then? You don't want to, you don't want customers to find you, but you want it the other way around. I, don't, I, I kind of, my initial answer was because I'm a bit on my own arse, but <laughs> I, I don't, if I'm honest, I've been to Moda once in 24 years. I, I've done um, Pure twice. I've never watched a fashion show. I've, I've never looked at a catwalk. Um, when people say to me, oh, um, the collection, spring collection for 2020 is, at that point, I've walked out the room because th- th- they genuinely are of no relevance or help to me. Um, and we, we visited your show and it just felt that was more me. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to, you, you've got a couple of nice uh, knitwear supplies from Leicester there. And we, we had do. a good chat yeah. with them. Yeah. Um, and th- they gave great feedback and we, we had a good vibe. It, it felt nice. Um, yeah, and we're not just garment manufacturers or no, just, this is it. So, just fabric suppliers. So correct. Can, so yeah, it's more of a mix. You never, yeah, you never know who's going to turn up, and that's what I wanted more. I, I've been to like three trade shows in my life, and it's just manufacturers moping around saying how it wasn't as busy as last year, and you go, oh, no. It, there was no feeling, there was no vibe. But when we yeah. went to yours, it was nice. It was a bit more personal, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. And actually, um, yeah, I can. That's what I've always aimed for it to be about: is actually bringing the textile industry together. And I know a lot of our exhibitors don't actually need any more customers now because they're all so busy. But they come for the social and the networking aspect as much as anything else. Yeah. But, the, the, yeah. This is it. It's at the end of the day, like like when I buy fabric, it's not actually my money I'm using. It's it's other people's money, um, so I have to be more selective and thoughtful about that. When I buy fabrics, we will spend like a hundred thousand pounds on stock, and I have people looking at me who who that money belongs to, sort of saying, "Are you sure?" Mm. And I I have to be sure. Like, obviously, as you appreciate, your show isn't free. So when I'm saying, no, I think this would be a good idea, they're going, are you sure? And Mm. I'm like, yes, I'm sure. But I never felt that at any of the shows. I I walk around them knowing all the other people there. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. it's not for me. So what you've just said there about buying all the fabric up front, that is, is quite a risky business isn't it when you're investing yeah. so much in so you must really know your customers your market to have that confidence I'm you're, you're always I'm, working I'm, like the buyer aren't you because yes. you're looking that up front yes I I I, I do I, I I as I say I refer to her as my lady I, I know my lady I I know what she likes and if I look at a print and say yeah Tesco's would buy that I know then she will like it. But again, it's, it's my pick. Um, I've always said, as, as long as I have a fabric nobody hates, I will always find a shape to sell it. 
So that's pretty good coming from someone who has started out in the packing room 24 (laughs) years ago. So how did you pick all this up then? I have no idea, (laughs) to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. One of those things in life, isn't it? When, when you, you know, when you find the slot that you fit into and you actually indirectly rather enjoy doing it, it's easy isn't it well I don't it's also it is a skill because you know I spent you know 10 20 years in buying and design and actually there are very few people that can instantly see something and say right I know that will sell and have the confidence to back it I I can see when I look at a fabric I can see a shape in my mind and I I go so I'll walk in the design room and I'll say right put that fabric with that and then an hour later when they've made it, they all stand around and go, oh, that looks nice. And I, <laughs> I always say, didn't you think it wouldn't? You so, know. Did you, so did you never want to be a designer at any point? Um, or even go into retail, go on the other side and work. Retail, because actually, <laughs> to, to be fair, retail needs many, people like you. May, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't like, I, I, don't, I don't want to do a proper job. So I have to, you know, <laughs> I, I, there isn't many retailers I haven't worked with over the years. Yeah. Supplying I mean, too. I've, I've been everywhere. You know, I've, I've met Philip Green on two occasions and, yeah. um, I've had the pleasure of working with people like Shop Direct. So then through them, I've done Fern Cotton uh, not literally. <laughs> that sounded that sounded yeah, wrong, Peter. It did. Sorry. <laughs> uh, as it as it came out, uh, I thought. Mm. So uh, Holly Willoughby, um, Gemma Collins, varying celebs. Um, so when you say you've done them, that means thanks, that you... you're going to pick up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it might be the title for this podcast. I've done Holly Willoughby. Yeah. <laughs> when you um, did stuff for her, that was you selecting and presenting it to Shop Direct and saying. I think this would fit well, the Holly range. You say that, um, to be perfectly honest, it relates to what contract they have. So, um, yeah, it, it comes down to their contract. So, for example, Fern Cotton's contract, she had design involvement. Um, so prints, styles were presented to her. She would pick and choose and mix and match. And then the range was developed with her, then brought back and then resubmitted. Um Holly Willoughby basically was a modelling contract, so she oh. was she was told what to wear and what to do, and they 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 sort of did it around her. It was more of a promotional thing. Mm. Um, Gemma Collins was a weird one. She was um, her celebrity kind of meant they wanted to do stuff for her, even though her website was running alongside it. She right. was quite a weird one. Her own website didn't actually run clothes big enough that she could wear. <laughs> God, really? Yeah, I know, yeah. But then um, through Shop Direct, they then were doing clothes that were big enough and bigger than she right. was. So it, it was all quite unique and different. I mean, I, at, at the moment, I'm doing um, work with uh, Lisa Riley. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. She has yeah. arranged Just Be You. Because you do... Um, you do order a big range of sizes, don't you? At just yes. kind of not I mean, standard sort of four to yeah. ten. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I, I've done all the twig styling with 
bits cut out here and one shoulder and, you know, too short for anybody and all that. <laughs> it's, I, I think, uh, personally, my age, I've, I've wanted to move with my age. And obviously... <laughs> I won't ask you how old you are, not, not live on the podcast. I'll be 45 in June. So. Oh, you're a, you're a nipper. You're a young well, Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to say that, it sort of, it reaches a point when, especially being a bloke, it feels a little bit weird, kind of, you know, sort of teenage girl clothing. It's yeah. a bit, yeah, no, a bit so, wrong. Different so, to, <laughs> so to research for your lady then, you must have to watch a lot of prime daytime TV. Um. Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose in that way, it's, um, I don't know, I, I guess I get it. I, I'm very lucky as well, the team I work with, so my designer, she's late 40s, um, our sample machinists are in their early 50s, um, all um, white ladies, so again, the market I'm aiming at, I, I have a bit of research, mm. you know, as soon as they start umming and ahhing at things, I'm like, okay. I kind of yet know where to go. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's Once you get into it, it's simple, easy, thoughtful fashion. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, um, she, she wants to feel nice in what she's wearing. A- any woman at whatever age they're at want to feel nice in what they're wearing, so that's important. Mm. But that more the, the fit is more critical the older they get. It, it needs to be more flattering. So you mentioned you've got a sample machinist and a design team. That is quite unusual, isn't it, for, to have a kind of big development team in a manufacturing unit within Leicester? Um, no. To, is to, it? To be or fair, not? It's very small. There's, there's a few companies I know that have 10 sample machinists, about eight designers, um, all in the same room. But that that's due to the... Um, the way other companies work, you, you get a lot of these um, kind of obviously like the Boohoo's, the PLTs, they need 30 new styles a week. They, they need constant feeding. But have they also got manufacturing on site as well, just the sampling? Um, no, they have, um, when they all have manufacturing sort of within local distances. Right, okay. Leicester's still large on manufacturing if, if i'm honest over the last couple of years i can see issues creeping in um yeah, i wasn't going to ask about well we have already covered some of the issues with leicester <laughs> manufacturing on this podcast i had mick chima who i'm sure you know from basic mm-hmm. premiere um a few episodes ago logistically how so for example if boohoo sold a dress at five pounds okay and it's a viscose elastane dress that will take a costing of a metre, shall we say. Yeah. Well, viscose elastane imported is about 135 a metre. So you take physically out of that £5, £1.35, straight away for the fabric. Okay. So then, you, then you're left with like, what, £3.65. How much, of, how much of that is allocated to Boohoo profit, manufacturing yeah, profit? VAT, the cost of making the garment, labels, wash care labels, the plastic bag it's in. When you break it down and analyse it, how, it how can up, does it? No, it doesn't. No. And, and this is the thing. It, it just, no. 
it does and that's why um boohoo got pulled up in that recent government inquiry into the sustainability of the fashion industry because they a journalist had done some research into particularly the five pound dress and said how can you make this for five pounds and their argument was it's a loss leader we offset it against marketing costs because we know by advertising a five pound dress the customer will put a lot of other stuff in their basket interesting apart from you can probably take pretty much every garment from the boohoo website cost it up and realize that someone somewhere is losing out because you can't make clothing that cheap. No, this is it. And so then, if you look at that dress, you tell me, how can anyone that's made that be on minimum wage or above? Yeah. It's it's a physical impossibility. It is indeed. Well, to be fair, though, how many buyers these days actually know what a garment costs? No, well... The thing is, though, places like China um, and Korea aren't representative to what we're trying to achieve. That's where people are going wrong. But China's wage structure, China's living cost structure is completely different to the UK. Um, Yet everybody's trying to mimic what China do. There's In China, for every one job, there's 100 people. So that Mm. one person is doing it at 120% because he knows he's easily replaceable. Yeah. I mean, you, you've been to China, I take it. Many times. That's why yeah. I do what I do now. So, like, for example, last time I was in China, we were in McDonald's, and there's a guy, there's a, there's a yellow line that you stand behind waiting for your food, and there's a guy that monitors this yellow line, and if you step <laughs> over it, he shouts at you. <laughs> And I was standing there and I said to Amar, can you imagine trying to even interview people to do that job in the UK, let alone find someone prepared to do it? Yeah. But the guy was 110% passionate about this yellow line. And you wouldn't step over it because that was his job and God help you. <laughs> and he was probably as well benchmarked on how many people stepped over his line. Yeah. They probably got cameras on him and someone monitoring the cameras. Uh, exactly. But, but we the, don't have the manpower. Well, no, but the, our, our problem is as well is because the government have allowed the supermarkets out of control since the 80s. Because I blame, personally, I blame the supermarkets for the decline of British manufacturing. That's really? my my standpoint is... They, they've killed the British high street. Tesco's predominantly with Asda and then Sainsbury's running up behind. If, if they had been put in legislations and controlled in the late 80s, the whole of the British high street would be different now. And yeah, because I, everyone's shopping in out of town, supermarkets, getting everything well, up. They but close but look, at how, look at how it's gone round. If you remember in the 80s, out-of-town shopping centres were kind of laughed at and no one wanted to go to them. They all went to the high street. Now there's no high street. The only places left are the out-of-town shopping centres, which are actually the high streets now. Yeah, sad, isn't it? And it's all because the government didn't put barriers in for the supermarkets i i i remember because i'm old we <laughs> would go well we'd go to tesco's we would buy tin goods and limited products you would go to the butchers for your meat 
the fruit and veg from the fruit and veg guy. But then the supermarkets went, no, let's put meat in, do a bit more, let's put more fruit and veg in, so they disappeared. Then they started adding electrical goods in. The high street started reducing the electrical shops. Then they started doing clothing. And one by one, they took the shops away into their own shop. Now, if the government in the 90s said, fine, you can sell electrical goods, but there's going to be a 7% surcharge on your prices, number one, the government would have made more money. Number two, the supermarkets would have thought twice about it, limited what they had for sale and the high street would have survived and if they'd done that with each individual product we would still have a high street now yeah so true but then i think it is going back the other way because so many people are now sort of thinking about local buying local again and that's well, i've no certainly noticed that i've been running make it they, british they are but what they're finding hard is obviously when you get to these silly Black Fridays and Cyber Mondays, the independents can't buy enough stock to sell them at a discount margin against the bigger suppliers. Well, so many of them aren't doing Black Friday and discount. They they have no product. I, I, I know so many small independents that ask for clearance stock to actually have something to put on sale for those weekends. That's what they do. They, they have an, a, a buying budget to buy junk, to be able to sell it at 50% off to look like they're doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah, well, yeah. I won't mention the retailer that I work for that used to do that as well. Correct, yeah. Um, and buy it, put it in the sale. We even called it a sale buy. Can you believe yeah, it? Yeah. Shocking. It, it, it is. Uh, and, you know, it sort of, yeah, that, that's the reality of it, unfortunately. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Peter, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to meeting you at our show. Are, are you coming um, to front the stand? Is it going to be you? Yes, it is. Brilliant. Anyone else from Just Elegant coming uh, along with you? Yes, um, Amar. Um, he's, he's basically the, uh, the company itself. So yeah, yeah, the the wallet, if you like. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so anyone wants to negotiate prices, they do it with him. Oh well, they could try. Get <laughs> a better price off me. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, and I was usually at the end of this podcast, I would say to people, "Where can they find you? What's your website address?" Can't like, I'll you? find you. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for talking to me today, Peter. You're a star. Pleasure. Pleasure. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.